0: Hi and welcome to this week's episode of Dermatologically Tested, the podcast of the British Association of Dermatologists. Um, Today we've actually got a very exciting episode in store for you guys. Uh, We're talking to a doctor who is also a patient, uh, Dr Gavin Fong. Um, He's had severe atopic eczema since his very early childhood, so practically all his life. Um, And basically he gave a really fantastic talk at our 101st annual meeting uh, this year. And uh, he's very nicely agreed to talk to us today about some of his experiences and how uh, they shaped his life. Uh, really looking forward to getting stuck into this one.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be a brilliant episode. Um, so, Harry, do you want to introduce Gavin?
0: This week, we have Dr. Gavin Fong, Clinical Research Fellow at the David Hyde Asthma and Allergy Centre. Welcome, Gavin. It's lovely to have you on.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Brilliant. Um, so, Gavin, you're on today to, to talk all about your experiences of eczema. I suppose before we get started, one thing that'd be really great to hear from you about is, is what exactly is eczema, atopic eczema, and how is it linked with allergy? Because obviously a lot of your background is in, is in allergy, but I also know that allergies play quite an important
2: part in your history of, of eczema. Mm. Thanks for the question. So uh, to be honest, I think I could spend hours talking about what is atopic eczema and what is a- and how it's linked to allergy, uh, but I'll try and keep it very brief. So in my mind, what I understand about atopic eczema is that it's a, um, a chronic disease that is very common. It is an inflammatory skin disease to be precise, so not like an infective sort of process. And the important part of it is that it waxes and wanes, so it comes and goes and it's associated with dryness and itch. In fact, um, my professors who used to teach me would say, if it's not itchy, it's not eczema. And the main problem of atopic eczema from my understanding is that the skin barrier in atopic eczema is defective. This makes it so that water is easily lost through the skin compared to someone who does not have eczema. The water loss then makes the skin dry and then itchy, which then will cause a scratching and more damage to the skin. In atopic eczema, because the skin barrier is broken or dysfunctional, people with eczema are more prone to skin infections and more prone to being, uh, to, to suffer from the irritant effects of like soaps and other products. And because allergens can enter the skin quite easily, it is also why people with eczema can more easily develop allergies. Because the um, allergens enter the skin and are received by Im- the immune system there and they then develop a dysfunctional immune response towards the allergens. Because the, the defective skin barrier is such a key component of what's wrong in atopic eczema per se, which this is why the emollients are so important because that it essentially replaces the skin barrier. I think I often quoted or often given an example about atopic eczema and what's wrong with the skin barrier in it is the brick example. So if you imagine bricks and usually in the middle, they're like concrete and cement used to seal the bricks together. In atopic eczema, the bricks, the bricks are intact, but this, the cement in the middle is sort of broken, which then causes things to leak out and things to come in. And that is why emollients are important to effectively replace that seal. Apart from the, broken, the dysfunctional skin bearer, there are other things that are driving atopic eczema. For example, um, the fact that the inflammation and the immunity in the skin is dysfunctional. That drives the water loss in the skin and also why the skin barrier is dysfunctional. And because of all these factors, research has shown that there's an overgrowth of a particular type of organism called staph aureus on the skin. This organism exists normally in individuals and they are usually just just there and existing. But in people with atopic eczema, it becomes the dominant organism. And studies have shown that if that, the more staph aureus your skin has, the more Um, severe eczema can be and and it's also been linked to um, flares of eczema and also um, if you have staph aureus there it causes um, allergen priming around the skin as well and that's why some treatments such as dermal which has some antimicrobial activity can help um, decrease the the Staph aureus burden, which then can help improve eczema.
1: So, so very quickly, uh, Staph aureus, that organism, that's that's a bacterium, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting. And and so people with eczema, they tend to have more. Is that what you're
2: saying? And then yes, that can contribute to flares. And mm-hmm. to, yeah, fascinating. So just to clarify about before, so it's the skin. Ba- so if you imagine like a three-way triangle, like a triangle, and all the sides are like interlinked. Same as the Staph aureus role and the skin barrier role and the the inflammation in the skin it's all like sort of linked to each other. There's no one thing which is the key per se. it's all like sort of feeding each other if that makes sense yeah, which is why tackling tackling one part can reduce the other parts and vice versa but but for example, if you ignore one part, then everything else just becomes worse and worse um so how how it's how it's linked to allergy so I have atopic eczema if it's not already known and I have lots of food allergies as well. And studies have shown that people with atopic eczema have an increased risk of food allergies. In fact, there is also evidence that, for example, from a Danish study, that atopic eczema often precedes the development of food allergies. And the the risk of developing food allergies in people with atopic eczema is greater the more severe your eczema is and the longer you've had your, ex- your eczema, which is why um, it is important to treat it well, especially in childhood where all these immune priming is... Uh, happens. There's a working hypothesis for this, um, which was coined the dual allergen exposure hypothesis. And it was coined mainly by a a very famous professor called Professor Gideon Lack. And my take on this is basically, we were created to be first exposed to uh, foods, for example, through your gut. So when you eat a food, eat a peanut, for example, you're exposed to it through your gut. And that's the normal immune response response towards that peanut. Mm-hmm. But in people with eczema, as I said earlier, there's a broken skin barrier and just peanut particles just go into the, go into the skin and the immune system there is not designed to, um, to see that. And it treats it as a foreign substance and mounts this whole response to it. And it learns that, oh, this is an enemy. And so subsequently, when the person is again exposed to peanut, they develop the allergic reaction. So the first part where the immune system was primed incorrectly through the skin is called sensitization and the allergic reaction is when someone has it the second time. And again, this is why it is important to treat the eczema aggressively so that the inflammation is not as severe, and therefore there's less chance of getting the the proteins go through the, the, the broken skin. For the healthcare practitioners listening in, I highly recommend a, a systematic review by Teresa Sakok and Thomas Mars, which is titled, Does atopic dermatitis cause food allergy? A systematic review. It's a brilliant piece of work and it goes into great detail about the the relationship between food allergy and eczema.
0: I know that you um, mentioned um, that you have atopic eczema. Um, Would you? And I know that you obviously spoke about this actually at the um, annual meeting uh, of the British Association of Dermatologists this year. Um, Would you mind though uh, sharing a little bit of your experience of atopic eczema as a child uh, with our listeners?
2: Um, So my first memory of my childhood was scratching myself when I was two, and I have a lot of memories uh, linked to scratching myself throughout the night, being unable to sleep, like almost in tears asking my family for like relief for my skin because it was so itchy and so unbearable. I also have lots of memories about it being very uncomfortable as a child because of the heat. Because I am from Malaysia and the heat would aggravate my eczema and so would the sweat associate with that heat. Um, um, because at that time, the understanding around eczema is that it's driven by food and Yes, some, some eczema is aggravated by food, but eczema is a skin disease. It's not nece- it is, there is some link, but it's not driven by food per se. But in that time, it was thought to be primarily driven by food. I, w- I was told by like, doctors and my parents and families to like, avoid lots of foods, which was, which was quite restrictive to my diet as well. I also had lots of... not, even, not, not many people talk about this, but th- I had a lot of pain with atopic eczema people think it's mainly itchy but with the itch comes like lots of wounds and lots of like weeping like wounds and that's in yeah especially in a hotter climate where you need to shower mm. you know how most people think of showering as a as a joyous relaxing um cleansing uh <laughs> process but to me it was just pain because of all the wounds i had and i remember because like my wounds at the back of my leg or my yeah my, my foot would be so bad that I had to like peel off my clothes because it was sticking to my uh, wounds so it was it was a very tough it, it was a tough time there was also like some teasing of like people imitating me scratching for example and at that time the understanding around eczema was very poor so yeah that that was it, it was a, it was hard having atopic eczema as a child hopefully it's better now with better understanding and better treatments but it was, it was hard back then.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's brilliant to just get a little bit of an insight into your early experiences with eczema. Mm. I mean, I think, obviously, it's so often characterized as a disease of childhood. I know that's something we're probably going to talk mm. about a little bit. While it may be partly a disease of childhood, it's not as simple as that. But, yeah, it's really, really useful to get your insight into that. And I know there's going to be a lot of listeners, parents of uh, young people with, with eczema. I'm sure they're going to be fascinated to sort of hear about your experience mm. and and like you say hopefully things have got uh, a little bit better in terms of understanding and although there's certainly lots still lots of challenges around being different and being a young young person and the bullying and, and stuff that goes with that hopefully it's slightly less uh, so than it used to be. In your in the recent talk that you gave at the BAD annual meeting, you you, you mentioned um, the hygiene hypothesis, mm. and um, you know you talked a little bit about your siblings um, and uh, their experience of atopic conditions. Do you think you could just uh, expand on that and maybe explain to listeners what the theory is there?
2: Sure. So it's a it's a working hypothesis as to why there's a there's been an increase in allergies over the past few years. And it's mainly from like observational studies, which follow a group of people as they grow up. These studies found that children with more siblings and pets or who grew up in farm environments, for, so, so quote unquote like dirtier environments almost, had mm-hmm. less allergies than people who grew up in cities or very sterilized environments. And interestingly, um, although this is not an encouragement to infect children with parasites, but parasitic infections have been shown to be protective against the development of allergic disease. And this is thought to be potentially linked to something called the microbiome. So that's the, um, the population of microorganisms living in, in, in your body. And for a fun fact, more than 50% of the cells of our body are not our own. So they're actually microorganisms. And so this, this diversity of this micro this microorganism population has been thought to be linked with lots of autoimmune disease and allergic disease. So in theory, the cleaner your environment is, there's a slight risk of more allergies developing. But of course, it's still important to like clean your environment. And interestingly, that manifest that, that manifested in my own family. So my brother and I were born in a first world Western country, which was very sterilized. Well, my sister was born in Malaysia, which is arguably less first world and guess who guess who guess which, which of the three of us then went on to develop allergies um so yeah me me, and my brother developed allergies well my sister did not um so that's a although it's it's only like anecdotal but that that to me is quite telling <laughs> yeah a good illustration perhaps mm. of of this this
1: hypothesis in action i think that's really interesting so so it's the the more highly sterilized inverted commas cleaner environments mm in which that you you're more likely to develop mm. atopic conditions
2: like eczema mm. and and okay
0: that's really fascinating
2: these are all mainly like observations they're still they're still trying to like prove it and it's hard to prove these things but it's just what people have observed
1: yeah
0: yeah of course
2: i think that's really good to clarify mm. as well we like
1: to be quite open where where something's yeah, a, a strong there's some some evidence in it but it still needs to be sort of mm. proven so that's that's good to to clarify
0: so um, Gavin, in your talk you sort of mentioned a turning mm. point in your childhood uh, when you moved to the US um, okay, could you sure. please like maybe describe what happened to, to our listeners?
2: Um, so a bit of context prior to that I had been I had been admitted to the hospital quite a few times within the past year um, because of eczema and I had lost for a few months of school because of how bad my eczema was at that time and then my, my dad went to the US for, uh, for work. And he thought, okay, while while he's there, why not move, like, why not get us to go over to maybe see a specialist there? Because maybe they have better understanding and treatments. So I went there and I saw one of the uh, dermatology specialists there. And they recommended something called wet wraps. I'm not sure if people know what that is. So it's um, for a place, so in people with very, very bad eczema, what they do is they apply the cream. And then they wrap it with wet cloth. Or in my case, I wore wet pajamas and then another layer of dry pajamas on top. So emollients, steroids, and then wet wraps. And what this does is it cools the skin, which makes it more comfortable for the child and also reduces the pain and discomfort associated with the very aggravated eczema. And it also helps increase the steroid absorption and improves the moisturization. And at that time, it was not known as a, a method in Malaysia then. And that that really helped. So I I did that quite regularly for a few weeks and that I didn't need to be admitted to hospital anymore for my eczema. And it was, although it was not perfect, but it was much better controlled than how it was prior to that.
1: Whilst you're talking about wet wraps, one thing I should probably say actually is that um, on our patient hub, uh, we actually have video guides on on how to apply wet Mm. wraps um, and uh, information like that. So um, definitely if it's something that uh, doctors are recommending for people then we have uh, hopefully really helpful guides mm-hmm. on on sort of how to go about doing that
2: if you if it, if wet reps is something you're considering i would i would always check with your doctor first to see whether it's the right treatment for you absolutely the other treatment i had which was quite was very helpful was uh, phototherapy so that's where you get uh uv ray so the sun is known to have an anti-inflammatory effect on skin which is why it's used both in severe eczema and severe psoriasis so i managed to have that treatment while while i was in the us which that which also helped calm my eczema down a bit and because i was given that treatment in my in my brief time in the us i was able to continue it when i came back and again that continued phototherapy helped my eczema get better alongside with the new wet wrap technique that we had learned there and w- and with the wet wraps came more judicious use of my emollients which i had avoided like the plague because it's very uncomfortable as a child to put emollients on especially in a hot and humid country like malaysia
1: yeah i mean it's incredibly challenging i think for for a lot of parents and, and young people to just just have that sort of adherence to the treatment plans and stuff like that because you know i think we all know we've all experienced it you know even mm. if it's just applying sun cream even if you haven't had eczema you sort of i think everybody's had that experience of applying creams and it's not necessarily the most pleasant thing yeah. in the world um particularly with eczema you know on the whole it's a case of the <laughs> greasier the better mm. um and that that is something that it's really mm. hard to to obviously get young people on, on board with i imagine
2: oh yeah uh but but what I, what I have found is at least for me um to go with what you actually will use so if the and that, that should be, I think that is the approach that is being taught at the moment, at least when I went through med school. Yes, the greasier, the better, yes. But if you're not going to use the greasiest, then there's no point. Exactly. I mean,
1: yeah, that's definitely something that we say um, in our messaging yeah. as well is, is a case of, go. you know, obviously greasier is better, but the best emollient mm. is the one that you use regularly so yeah I think that is a really important thing to to get across yeah, to people doubt. um and and not necessarily to yeah. feel guilty if they they can't mm. sort of use the greasiest thing out there yeah if you're
2: if you're already putting emollients on at this stage you're you've you're, you're doing better than I was as a child and as a teenager
1: yeah well it'd be great to talk a little bit about your mm. teenage years with eczema because yeah as we said it's eczema is often characterized mm. as a mm-hmm. sort of uh, skin disease of childhood um, but that wasn't your experience and I believe that you you still manage your eczema yes. to this day but um, can you maybe explain to people what it was like being a teenager with eczema and maybe like how it impacted mm. your
2: life and your your sense of self I suppose and your day-to-day I think one of the key things that throughout my experience was that as a child I was told that we would just grow out of it I guess that's that's what the knowledge was at that time that eczema would somehow just magically disappear when you're older and so when i did reach that teenage milestone and it was still there still being a big nuisance i was very frustrated and very disappointed so that that was the sentiment i was bringing into my teenage years and as you know teenagers rebellious and so i again i still didn't really like the creams nor did i want to put them on especially as a teenager because there's the whole like image and self and the girls won't find me attractive if i'm if i'm looking oily I didn't touch on this as a child uh, during the childhood time, but there was a lot of like self-confidence issues I had. So I didn't look at I didn't look straight into people's eyes because of how lowly I felt of myself because my skin was so bad and I felt like no one wanted to look at me because of how bad my skin was at that time. And that carried on as a teenager and it was made worse during my time as a teenager because you become so self-aware of your how you look and how you appear to others. So it was it was a very difficult time, I would say. The childhood years were more difficult physically because of the how bad my skin was. But I think teenage years, it was more difficult psychologically in terms of eczema. I was very shy. I didn't really want to talk to people because of how bad it was at that time. Uh, although it wasn't as bad as how it was in my childhood. And that, at that time, because as well, we were getting quite desperate because, I, oh, we thought this would be finished by now because we were told that you, it's only in childhood and you would grow out of it. And with each if each teenage year come passing by and it was still there and we, we got more and more frustrated. And that's when we started looking into alternative medicines. And so we tried lots of herbal remedies and and like various like herbal like drinks and it didn't it didn't help my eczema and at some points it even made it worse. And the lowest point I went to was when I touched on this briefly in my talk when I tried something called colon cleansing and which is where they they um put a tube down your, um, up the back passage and pump some sort of chemical inside to cleanse the colon because their theory was cleansing the colon would help your skin get better. And they also made you just drink liquid, have a liquid diet throughout that time. And that was, that was a horrible experience. And yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds so challenging. I mean, I, I but I
1: think it illustrates really well how desperate mm-hmm. mm uncontrolled eczema almost any uncontrolled skin disease really i think there's a lot of parallels with mm. other conditions
2: mm. how it can drive patients to to try all kinds of things absolutely so at that time we we still didn't really understand the biology behind eczema mm. and my my adherence to creams were was very patchy and at that, at times when my skin was very very bad and i was prescribed steroids i would Refused to use them because we were afraid that we would become like dependent on the steroids like how someone is dependent on drugs for example which is a very Mm. big big misconception and there's a lot of steroid fear out there I think um, which and it needs to be addressed because steroids are they are they're important and they are life-saving drugs for many conditions and so and another key fact that I wish someone had told me was that it doesn't get cured but you can manage it because that I think that tweak in expectations would have helped a lot To know that this is something that you need to manage and live with and that your skin is not like your enemy, but it is part of you that you need to like manage it. I think that would have helped me rather than than the wishful thinking that was implanted that it will somehow just disappear one day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think just having that wishful thinking, obviously, it was just so disappointing when obviously it didn't go away um, during your teenage years, which probably also added like you were already like obviously saying that you're quite self-conscious as well. So just a very disheartening mm. experience, as you mentioned. I know you obviously we touched mm. on like confidence throughout your teenage uh, years. But do you mm. do you think more can be done to help those who experience sort of similar confidence issues because of skin conditions
2: mm. I think absolutely so I did not only have confidence issues I had like I was depressed at some point even so far as to I didn't want to have children because I didn't want to get them to inherit what I ha- had had to go through there is definitely a role for like psychology psychological support because mm-hmm because of especially how visible the skin is like like it's so anyone everyone can see it and even as normal people i'm sure you notice like this the the little stares and the glances from others and that is heightened a lot more when when you are when you have eczema and we're almost like hyper aware of what people perceive how people perceive us and we often find ourselves already unsightly and so it's all just like a big combination of a lot of factors that can make someone have more predisposed to having like poor mental health and the poor mental health makes your eczema worse because stress makes eczema worse and then that just makes your mental health worse and it just goes round and round so yes definitely psychological support would i think would would be very helpful i i would have found it helpful as a child if i had that and as a teenager one of the um
1: recurring themes you've touched on today and that you touched on in your talk is this importance of understanding the disease, but also understanding the treatment and the impact this might have on your adherence and the temptation to try alternative treatments. Can you explain this to us a little bit and and maybe just talk about that light bulb moment and and why it's so important to, to understand how
2: these things actually work? I think back, in, back then, so this is like 10, 20 years ago, the culture was a lot more, oh, we are the healthcare professionals. You listen to us and our medications. You just do what we tell you and it will all be sorted. So not much education was given to us as to what's going on with eczema and why we need these treatments and like the skin, skin barrier defect example. Um, and even if there was, it was mainly directed at my parents, which is understandable. But then the one you need to convince to put the creams on is the child. And if, and it's hard for the, and yeah, it's, it can be hard for the parents to explain it to the child as well, because they don't have the understanding that the healthcare professionals do. And it's different from your usual treatments. So I think healthcare professionals are used to prescribing like a one-off like antibiotics that, okay, yeah, fine. If, if you need me to take a course of antibiotics, yeah, I'll take that for seven days. I can follow that. That's, I understand that, but to have to ask me to put creams on Every day for the rest of my life i I will need some convincing to do that especially when they're uncomfortable and sticky and greasy you need to sell it to me or at least tell me why I need to put these things on and so I think if I had better explanation and I understand this is difficult in like very stretched in the stretch stretched service we have at the moment but I think better explanations and education is very important, especially targeted at young children.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, if you're putting creams on every day, you obviously want to sort of have a bit of background because it does it does take a little bit of time, and obviously it is dedication. Mm. Obviously, we've gone over sort of your teenage um, years, and you have atopic eczema still but as an adult. What are the lasting effects of atopic eczema for our listeners who might also have it, and, or mm. have a child who has it?
2: Um, so, so even even entering into uh uni days i still had eczema i still <laughs> as a medical student i still didn't want to put my creams on i still didn't want to put the steroids on even though i was a medical student because i i, didn't, I still didn't understand yeah. and the light bulb moment came when i when i did a masters in allergy i was finally taught in very great detail about the biology around eczema so all that what i described earlier about the skin barrier being Dysfunctional, the inflammation, and the the role of that organism. That all was taught to me throughout my course. And that was the key light bulb moment that made me realize that this is how to like manage it. So that was one of the bigger turning points in my life. And since then I feel my skin has been a lot better controlled. So at the start of my adulthood it was still it was still a bother. I I still it affected my uni exams because when I get stressed, it makes my skin worse. And that affects my performance in exams as well and f- affects my ability to study. But after that turning point, when I did my masters, it's now more of a, like an inconvenience. I still get like occasional flares of my skin. I still get hand eczema at times and that's, that's sometimes troublesome because of my job. I also have all the other atopic diseases, which can be somewhat attributed to eczema, but that is but you can't fully attribute it to eczema as well. Um, and I think the main fallout was the psychological fallout that I still have some lasting like confidence issues and self consciousness issues because of all everything that happened throughout my childhood. So that yeah, that would be the lasting effects I would say.
1: Yeah, I mean I gotta say though, the talk that, that you gave at the annual mm-hmm. meeting was was amazingly well received and i think it, it there's lots of great dermatologists out there loads of them who are who are fantastic at this and but i think even even the best dermatologists have a lot to learn from somebody like yourself who can talk from the experience of somebody who's had severe eczema throughout their life and understands mm. the challenges because they were somebody who struggled to adhere to treatment who didn't necessarily understand what was happening and who then has had that that moment of understanding and and can talk people through it but uh-huh. obviously yours your always happen yeah. to be a masters in mm. in allergy but but it doesn't necessarily have to be that mm. level of, of detail i think that i think if you ask anybody to do anything every day for the rest of their life and it's not particularly yeah. pleasant you should be giving them a very good reason why they're doing that thing and so yeah i just think i think it's brilliant and and also some of the ways you've explained eczema today i think have been just really excellent
0: yeah incredibly invaluable oh thank you i think if you
1: understand what's gone wrong mm and what the treatment's doing to try and resolve what's gone wrong and, and sort of compensate for what's gone wrong. And I do think it's, it's far easier to
2: follow treatment plans and stuff like that. I, I'd also like to say that, although this was my experience with eczema, I know that that's not everyone's experience, and I know lots of adults who still struggle with troublesome eczema. And I, I feel you. And I would say that it's, it's not, don't, don't be shy to seek help psychologically or for your eczema. I know. So there have been a lot of advances in the understanding of eczema and the treatments available for eczema. So if you wanted to be referred to secondary care, now is a good time to do so because there are a lot of options there to help you. You don't have to suffer alone. And a lot of dermatologists can help if you need it.
1: I think that's a really good thing to emphasize there's quite a few people out there who maybe have had eczema for a long long time and haven't Mm -hmm. necessarily gone back to a doctor in that period um and you know there's people that could potentially benefit from advances that that aren't doing so at the moment i mean one of the things that you you said during your talk was that if some of the the treatments that are around today were around when you were younger you probably would have been eligible for them and probably Mm. would have had a, a much easier time yeah
0: so, uh, Gavin, obviously this uh, might not work for everyone, but it would be great to hear what has worked for you, yeah. um, just to get some insight. Um, obviously, as you said, there are a lot of options available now, but it would be great to hear um, sort of your insight on that.
2: I'd also like to caveat to say that my skin isn't perfect as well. There's still like, bit of eczema here and there but it's much less nuisance than how it was when I was a young adult or like younger adult um so what what has helped me is um (laughs) being religious with my emollients so Every time, so I would, so my, I, I, would clean my skin every day and put my emollients immediately after, and that prevents. So if you take a shower and you wait a long time, then your skin dries up very quickly, and so it's important to put your emollients immediately after and then your steroids if required, because that is the prime time where your skin can absorb it. And I try to put my emollients uh, like two or three times a day, but I'm even at this point I'm still not the best at it, but at least once or twice a day i also have adopt a more proactive approach rather than reactive approach to eczema at least my own eczema so in the past i would i would have a flare and i would just ignore it until it gets really really bad before i try and do something about it But now when i do have a flare i try to treat it proactively with dermal and with steroids so dermal does not i know it, it's not might not help everyone but i think it helps me because it as you said the staph aureus burden is associated with uh, flares of your eczema so when when staph aureus becomes more concentrated, it's associated with flares. We're not sure whether that's the chicken or the egg, but it's associated. And so dermo helps me. I think it helps like kill off some of the staph aureus, which then helps the recovery of the skin. I used to have a lot of steroid fear, but now I I do use it when I require when I need it, and I'm not um, I don't put it off. For example, if I do require uh, steroid treatment for my skin. And another thing is. I am trying better to manage my stress and anxiety and my emotions because the mind and the body are quite linked, and we do know that stress makes anxiety like makes eczema worse and vice versa. This is primarily through my faith in Christianity, but everyone has their own means of doing this, I'm sure. And another thing is to not panic when you get a flare because of the nature of eczema, it is a sort of like waxing and waning disease that it it comes and goes. So if you if you do get a flare, that's okay we can, you can manage it as how you manage like your car breakdown, for example. And I think another, a, another mindset of mine, which has helped, as I mentioned earlier, that your skin, that my skin is not my enemy. It's not someone, something i try tried to get rid of because it has eczema, but it's some, it's a part of you. In fact, it's the largest organ we have and you need to take give it the care it needs and deserve that's also what helps me manage my eczema today
0: that's a great message and you do i mean it is the largest organ so you're right taking good care of it is is important <laughs> absolutely
2: so hmm. gavin um as an ex
1: patient yourself you've obviously talked that there's, there's a lot of developments in eczema going on at the moment some are new treatments some might be new theories and you know these don't necessarily have to be the finished article or anything like that. But what developments out there at the moment excite you as an eczema
2: patient yourself? One of the most exciting ones for me is the introduction of something called monoclonal antibody treatment. So- um, these are highly specialist and, and quite expensive, um, very targeted treatments. And the, the example I can think of is something called dupilumab. So it's, and so in, for example, in very severe psoriasis, when you've exhausted all the treatments, like things such as mitotrexate or phototherapy, you have the, you have biologic treatments or monoclonal antibody treatments, which are like the step up to try and calm the psoriasis down because it targets very specific parts of the immune pathway. LinkedIn psoriasis and we never had that for eczema for many many years until very recently and so to me that is a very exciting time to be an exact someone with eczema because you have essentially more options now and and this is the first of many which are in the pipeline but the first one the the first one to be licensed in the uk is is dupilima and i have seen like studies and i've been to conferences where it has been presented and the the results have been astonishingly good and I, i wish i had that as a child and another thing that excites me a lot is the ongoing work looking into like preventing eczema altogether. So some people in Japan, and I think it's replicated in the Western world as well, they found that applying emollients on babies help prevent eczema, and that helps prevent food allergy, for example. But then that that is also under debate at the moment because some people show it actually makes you more likely to have eczema. So it's that's still in the pipeline, but at least someone is looking at it, Absolutely. which I think is very exciting because... Preventing that would prevent everything else that might have come along with eczema, such as food allergies. So to me, that is the two most exciting things, as well as the the rapidly increasing understanding as to the behind the biology of eczema
0: yeah they they sound incredible and I think things are always being or in development or being researched and it is quite an exciting time I mean I know that we we touched on your childhood I know that a lot of listeners probably do have uh, children who have have eczema um, atopic or other Um, and it would be good to hear what your sort of advice would be for parents
2: I would say that It can be even more difficult for parents than the child who has eczema because you have to watch your child suffer and i think that is that's a profoundly difficult experience i would recommend like joining support groups such as like the national eczema society and the ba I'm, i'm not sure if the bad has one um I'm sure that, that can be very helpful to find support with something that is that can be very difficult.
1: We have a list of patient support hmm. groups. So um, definitely, um, I think there's some hmm. really great ones for eczema. And so I think, yeah, I definitely encourage, I definitely agree with what yeah. you say in terms of as much for children with eczema or people with eczema I think support
2: for the parents through these support groups is is excellent. My parents didn't have anyone to like around them or we didn't have any support groups around that time and I think it was it was difficult on them because no one else had the same experiences and that that is quite isolating and challenging. Um, I would also recommend to find creams that work for them so as as we touched on before it's not not getting the best, greasiest cream because no one wants that. <laughs> to be honest, um, so finding finding someone something that they wouldn't mind putting on, I think that would be helpful. And as we touched on the psychological aspects as well, don't just focus on how their skin is, but also um, looking beyond the skin and looking at how they are as a person. Like, have they been bullied recently, or have they how are they how are they coping with it? And try not to let their skin or their eczema define them, but to look at other things that are great about them. I'd also recommend to not be worried about using steroids or the other therapies when indicated, because it it is worse to let the eczema just continue on and fester and be and get worse and worse, and because that affects the quality of life more. And one thing that I would recommend is to not blame them when their skin gets bad, because they they feel as they feel as bad as it gets already, because when their skin is bad. So don't ever blame them if they have a flare, for example. And I think this. It's very hard not to do this, but and I appreciate that, but don't tell them to stop scratching. Try and help try and help them find ways to alleviate the itch, but it's like telling someone to not sneeze, for example, because I think I think it was described before that eczema is not the the itch that rashes, but the rash that itches. So it is the inflammation and the 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 problem with the skin itself that causes the itch. It is not the itch that although yes it makes the rash worse, but it is not the primary driving force. So I don't think telling them to stop scratching is very helpful, (laughs) to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important message. And um, yeah,
2: obviously we
1: don't want people to scratch, but I think, yeah, as you say, it's about helping them to stop scratching rather Mm. than telling them don't scratch because instruction is not the
2: problem. And and I guess the overarching theme is to explain to them why they need the, the creams that they might not like and how using the creams may potentially help them stop scratching because it calms the skin down and it gives the skin what it needs, which is repairing or filling in that defective barrier. And so working alongside them with the doctor or the healthcare professional, because it is a condition that needs to be managed over some time and finding what they like and what they what works for them.
1: We've talked a lot about the sort of negative mm. side of eczema,
2: um, which is understandable, but
1: it would be great to just hear from yourself this, the positives that you've taken from your
2: experience. Sure. So I think one of the main positives I have from this experience is empathy. So yeah, whenever I see someone with eczema in the clinic, for example, I, I see my little self there. And I think because I had eczema before, I am able to relate well with other patients with, and other people with skin disease. I think that is a great bonus and a great privilege. Mm. And it also has given me an unwavering passion for this field in medicine. And it, it is the reason I chose to pursue a career in this, in, in medicine, to help other people with skin disease and allergic disease. And indirectly, it, it's led me to pursue the master's. And indirectly, that's how I met my wife. So I, I'm very happy about that.
0: Um, what advice would you give to mm. any healthcare professionals that are listening right now?
2: I think um, I'm coming... At this mainly as a patient because i don't think i'm qualified enough as a healthcare professional to be able to give that sort of advice Um, but it the main one would be to take time to explain the treatments why the treatments and how the treatments work and the biology behind eczema to the patient and if it is with children and parents to the child as well because as we said before no one wants to be lathering sticky creams onto themselves unless they understand why and but i understand this is especially challenging in in like in GP, for example, where there's such heavy pressures, so it might be something you can ask the practice nurse to help with. And another thing I would suggest is to not just look at the skin, but to also look at them as a person and how their skin is affecting them psychologically. Because as we, as I mentioned earlier, the skin, if they have like low mood or stress, for example, because of the skin, that just makes the eczema worse. And there's a whole like itch stress cycle, I would say, that goes on and on and on. And so tackling one aspect. And help the other and there has been lots of studies that show that eczema is associated with poor mental health and depression for example and so that that is something worth keeping an eye on especially if they've had it for a while and I, another thing would be to treat the eczema aggressively and treat it well especially in children because it may help prevent development of subsequent like allergies and food allergies and I finally i would like to say that if you if they are struggling to manage an eczema i think it's it, you can consider like referring to secondary care because there are a lot more options now rather than just let it fester and fester. And it's important to work with the patient as to to find what creams and treatments work for them. And finally, I would like to say a little bit the healthcare professional does for a person's skin goes a long, long way. Uh, yeah, I, I had an experience in medical school where I had quite bad skin and uh, a doc- like one of the doctors pulled me aside and gave me like very good advice on how to manage it then and i I'm still grateful to her for that after this day, and I'm still grateful to that doctor in the u s who who taught me to do wet wraps, yeah, so a little yeah a little bit you do for someone's skin goes a long way, especially because because how visible it is
1: yeah, I mean it sounds like the um uh, you know it's a common story that you hear, mm-hmm. but you know the doctors that really help you are... Uh stay with you for the rest of your life absolutely um and their advice will stay with you for the rest of your life i mean the other thing that you mentioned already um but it's worth reiterating is is to manage expectations oh yes yes yeah i suppose this idea that it's a childhood Disease and that people will grasp it. I think that's something yeah. that you you hear less mm. these days, but it's certainly I think there's parallels with acne, which is often seen as a disease of adolescence, which you will grow out of, and actually many people don't grow out of it. And I think giving people that expectation, yes, you may be right, they may mm. grasp it, but if they don't, it's um, yes. it's very damaging, as you've described. So I think that's a really useful piece of advice that you mentioned earlier. Gavin, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for taking so much time to to explain your experience and and pass on what you've learned throughout it all. It's been really interesting and it's so wonderful to have a doctor Mm. who is so open about their experiences and can help other doctors learn and patients, you know, I think you'll give a lot of hope. Patients will get a lot of benefit from listening in to this episode. So thank you. Thank you so
0: much for coming on.
2: You're, You're very welcome i hope it I hope it does help
1: thank you so much for our guest today. that's Gavin Fong. Mm. What a brilliant talk actually i'm I'm really glad that, that it was brought to our attention his chat at the his talk at the annual conference because um it's really great to get the perspective that that kind of looks both ways i suppose from from the doctor's perspective but also from from a lifelong yeah. patient you know somebody that's lived with Eczema for so long and I mean Gavin just seems to have such clear insights into to, what what made a difference mm. to him as a patient, and how doctors can help people who are in a Absolutely. similar position?
0: Absolutely, yeah, it was really really insightful, and um, I learned a lot. And we hope that you know it helps some people who might be listening who suffer with atopic eczema, or have a child who suffers with atopic eczema, or even just uh, one of the healthcare professionals who obviously want to give the best advice to their patients.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's great, and I, I think the, the good thing about Gavin's talk is that undoubtedly you know as somebody that's lived with severe atopic eczema for a long time and particularly Gavin talks about the difficulty that he he had with adhering to treatments and so that's that's always going to mean that dealing with uncontrolled eczema is going to be really challenging and there's going to be a lot of negatives but um, I really like how Gavin talks mm. about the positives that have come out of his experience and through sharing those publicly i think it helps other people sort of learn from from the positive things that have happened to him
0: yeah absolutely
1: well that's it for this week uh we'll be back in two weeks time so look forward to you joining us then
0: right see you later guys